Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. It's April 11th, 2022, and we're here in the Visegrad Inside office. I'm Miles Maftian, editorial director, and I'm sitting here with Kamil Jaronczyk. Hi, Hi everyone. Uh, we'd like to basically start off by thanking all of you who have given to the Future of Ukraine Fellowship. We had almost 100 individuals giving donations, and we're currently in the selection process. We're nearing 13,000 euros out of 20,000. We've had so many incredible applicants that we'd like to fund. So please, if you could continue to spread the word, we'll put a link in the description for you to donate. So moving on. The biggest news in this past weekend, and sort of looking ahead, uh, is the first runoff to the French elections. Emmanuel Macron has won the first round with roughly 27.6%. This is with already 97% of, of votes being counted. Marine Le Pen came in in second with 23.4%. I would say a fairly close race, closer than others were actually thinking. Yeah. And... There was an incredibly surprising third place finish by Jean-Luc Mélenchon um, at nearly 22%. So we know that Macron will likely win the second runoff. And, and this is due in large part to, to Mélenchon saying there won't be a single vote that will be cast for Le Pen. So most likely in the second round she won't really get above 50%. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, although it is quite interesting that uh uh, yeah, what, what it shows about French society that uh, that uh, of course in first uh, first place is Macron, who is a generally center right candidate. Right. But uh, the second place and third place, almost neck and neck, twenty two, twenty three percent, was um, generally accepted far right candidate of Marie Le Pen and a far left candidate of Mélenchon, who is a socialist. Right. Uh, so, uh, what what does it mean in four years if this is constantly the way that it's going? That's true. And not only what does it mean. For the next four years, the question that, that we're always asking is, what does this mean for Central and Eastern Europe, right? It's an interesting election for, for the region. Of course, you have Ukraine serving in the background there. You have security interests. You have all of that aspect. And you think of energy and, and everything that the next four years sort of encapsulates. But also the idea that there isn't going to be this far-right candidate it does essentially bode well for, for us in, in CEE who have been uh, very much part of the illiberal nature of, of peace and, and Fidesz, of course, with Orban winning his um, another yeah another four years. Four years. But supermajority, largest supermajority ever. Exactly. <laughs> for him. Exactly. But the thing is, is that more specifically to Poland, there has been a story even last week when it came to uh, Macron. So just last week, Macron essentially accused Morawiecki, who's the Polish prime minister, of being a far-right anti-Semite who bans LGBT people. And, you know, you, you think of this, and, and, and of course, this is somewhat of a response from Morawiecki essentially telling Macron that he's negotiating with criminals. Yeah. And this was kind of in, in regards to how many talks he's held with Putin over the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So there, there's a lot there. And in terms of this, I wanted to highlight one of the pieces that actually just came out today on Visegrad Insight. Uh, and, and this is through, um, done by Marcin Zawarowski. So 
this relationship that France has with CEE, that's the main focus of the piece. And Marchin kind of states that although it's a bit unfair, France sort of exemplifies this unreliable ally to Central and Eastern Europe. You know, flirting with Russia, prioritizing relationships with Moscow over those with Warsaw, Prague, and Bucharest. Not going to give everything out that's in the piece. It's a great one. I think everyone should go and, and, and read and take a, take a real hard look at this and try to think of what it means for relations in CEE. But moving on, Camille, what do you think? What, what, what do we have looking forward to this week? Yes, uh, also today came out the weekly outlook with, um, of course, the French elections being uh, uh, one point in it, but uh, we're always focused on the CEE in our 13 countries. Some, something interesting to see was uh, the Chancellor of Austria. He went to Kiev uh, to, uh, for, first, um, but actually he is on his way to uh, Moscow. Right. Um, uh, he is the first European uh, leader to actually go on an official visit to Moscow since the invasion of Ukraine. Um, Pretty big. Yes, uh, of course. Uh, it is important to remember that uh, Austria is technically uh, speaking a neutral country. Uh, this was agreed upon after the Second World War. They are not a member of NATO. Uh, they are a part, but they are a member of the EU. So, uh, so it is. Uh, it's important to no note that he went to Kiev first, but uh, uh, it's a interest. It's a big for the region as well that uh, he went to uh, Russia. But another important. Uh, uh, visit to Kiev that happened over the weekend was uh, Ursula von der Leyen, who, along with uh, the Slovak uh, Prime Minister uh, Hegar, went uh, went to uh, Kiev um, and uh, to meet the pres uh, President Zelensky, and um, and get, basically um, uh, support their candidate status uh, to the EU and uh, maybe even a sort of a fast track. Uh, but uh, but it is uh, remains to be seen because of course the Commission is uh, made up of the member states right. and each member state has a veto over these issues. So right. um, so as we said, the EU goes to Ukraine yes, essentially the, this last week. Exactly. The EU, that is the, that is the title of the, uh, of, the, um, of the weekly outlook. But um, also, uh, also what is important this week, uh, amongst many, many other things, is uh, the on the weekend what happened in Poland. Uh, it, there was a um, social issue as, as everyone, as, uh, Everyone has heard we have uh, the largest amount of Ukrainian refugees in the world, uh, who have a lot of them who have, of course, uh, uh, bad memories or uh, bad uh, experiences along. And uh, all of Ukrainians uh, virtually have experiences with air sirens, basically, right. uh, and the fear that came comes with hiding in your basement as air sirens are, are going. But in Poland, uh, air sirens are used, as since we haven't had a war since the Second World War, air sirens are used um, as a way to commemorate tragedies. Um, and a recent tragedy that happened in Poland, uh, um, uh, quite a recent one that most of our listeners probably uh, remember or uh, are aware of is the Smolensk catastrophe when the the heads uh, the intelligence of Poland and a lot of uh, uh, and of course the brother of yeah exactly of uh, Kaczynski the, the 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 twin brother the president of Poland um, Lech Kaczynski was um, was crashed uh, mm -hmm. near Smolensk mm -hmm. um, and uh, there was a big debate in Poland about. Uh, about should the sirens be uh, played or not uh, due to the bad memories of the Ukraine uh, to the, of the Ukrainians, 
Um, in the end, I, I heard it outside of my window, right. uh, and that's um, that was um, each person has their own uh, opinion on that. But that was like a recent uh, issue in Poland. But something also important that happened along with the Smolensk was that uh, the uh, Jarosław Kaczyński has uh, said that um, that he has all the inform uh, all the information from. Uh, from the Smolensk uh, crash and that uh, he will um, be showing it to the public right. soon. So who knows what that is, but uh, it might be coming up and uh, who knows what who knows what he what he right. found out. But right. uh, if you, of course, we have extensive coverage of the entire region, especially the Baltic region. This uh, this week has been a lot, a lot has been going on there. Um, uh, preparations for the 9th of May, um, uh, far right uh, politicians in Estonia have been starting to complain a bit about Ukrainian right. refugees. But um, yes, uh, I encourage everybody to um, to uh, look into the weekly outlook. And moving a little bit north of there, we also have news ah, from, yes. the, from the Nordic countries <laughs> of as well. Of course, right? of course. There's so, so much going on. Right. Uh, uh, the Times have reported that Sweden and Finland are rather sooner than later going to join NATO. Right. Very big uh, for uh, Finland, of course, was also a neutral country since the Winter War. Um, but, uh, of course, uh, have been having close cooperation with um, with NATO since then, but mm -hmm. uh, never officially joining. They were there were uh, there were rumors about this in the first weekly outlook of the year. Actually, um, it was a rumor that fi Finland could be uh, thinking of joining NATO because of the military buildup. Right. on the border, if we all rem uh, remember that. So uh, clearly... Uh, of course, we know of Putin's threats as I well when it comes to Finland actually joining. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. But uh, the thing is that uh, Finland is already and Sweden are already members of the EU, mm -hmm. which does have a defense clause mm -hmm. in it. So technically, if anything were to... Of the EEE, EEEA. Uh, yes, yes, right. exactly. Yeah. So uh, basically, if anything were to happen to Finland, um, all European Union countries technically are obliged to right. protect Finland. But um, but uh, it's more of this kind of symbolic nature yeah. of, of actually joining in the sense too. Uh, well, they would be obliged to, you know, be part of NATO right. operations and everything. It, it would be, it's a different, it's a different uh, situation um, uh, for them. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Finland, um, Finland joining NATO and Sweden joining NATO. Uh, never, who would have thought that that would happen in our lifetimes, but exactly. Decades are happening in weeks. Exactly. Yeah. Germany changing course overnight yeah. in terms of their foreign policy over the course of the last 30 years. And so forth. Great. Thank you. So as we know, there's a lot going on. Please stay up to date with us here at Vishigrad Insight. And now we're going to go on to the second portion of our podcast, where Tatiana will discuss how the war in Ukraine is affecting the EU enlargement policy to the Western Balkans. And this will be done with an interview with uh, Tomasz Straja. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to our next episode on Western Balkans. My name is Tetiana Polagruic, EU Neighborhood Program Manager at Visegrad Insight, and my guest today is Tomasz Strażaj, Director of Slovak Foreign Policy Association, our partner and very good friend. Welcome, Tomasz. Glad to have you on our podcast. Good afternoon. Thank you for the invitation. Tomasz, uh, I wanted to touch upon um, the, the effect of the war in Ukraine on Western Balkans, and my, my first question would be that um, as the war in Ukraine rages for over a month now, could you tell us what is EU's current position with regard to its enlargement policy and is it affecting Western Balkans EU accession in any way? I would say that uh, the unprecedented and unprovoked uh, 
aggression of the Russian Federation against Ukraine uh, has already influenced a lot and is going to influence many processes, I would say, and many EU policies, including the enlargement policy. First of all, uh, Europe finds itself in uh, under threat, which is really uh, the new situation in its history. In the post-World War II history, this is the, I would say, the biggest existential threat for uh, the safety, prosperity, stability of uh, the European continent at which definitely the European Union plays a major role. And uh, the main aim of the enlargement policy was to expand the territory uh, and the sphere of stability and prosperity. And therefore, actually, uh, the candidate countries submitted their uh, applications to the European Union. Since uh, March, we actually have three more applicants on the list. We also have uh, three countries from the so-called Eastern Partnership uh, program, namely Ukraine, Georgia and Moldova, uh, which submitted their applications and are interested in the full-fledged membership uh, in the European uh, Union which is a good sign, I would say, on the one hand, because uh, after the UK leaving the European Union, uh, of course, uh, it is always good to see the interest of other countries to join, which also applies to um, those applicants who have uh, been in the process already for a couple of years, like the countries of the Western Balkans. But the newcomers are also more than welcome. Uh, on the other hand, uh, this is going to uh, definitely uh, change the enlargement policy of the European Union and influence those processes, uh, not only because of uh, these three new candidates, but because of the new situation in the entire European Union and Europe as such. So I think that uh, security aspects, for instance, might be included to a more intensive, um, more intensively in the uh, enlargement package to a certain extent. Uh, this goes uh, hand in hand with the development and with the expected development of the European security and defense policy and uh, also European sovereignty in security and defense issues. Also, I would underline the value aspect of the enlargement policy. The enlargement uh, is not only about, you know, fulfilling technical criteria, but also political criteria, which needs to be extended in these trying times, I would say. And each of the candidate country, each of the applicant should be 100% convinced about uh, its sticking on the basic values of the European Union, which is uh, democracy and namely liberal democracy, which is uh, a rule of law mechanism, uh, freedom of uh, press uh, and expression and uh, independent judiciary, uh, which is also connected with uh, fight uh, against corruption. So these are very important issues that need to be tackled before the countries make, you know, a more significant step towards the EU membership. And this is the challenge for the three new applicants, uh, as well as for the countries who have already been on board of the process for a couple of, for a couple of years.
Thank you, Tomasz. My next question is, uh, with Russia having really a lot of on, on its plate currently, do you think it is still able to destabilize situation in the region, in, in the Western Balkans? And what actions of Russia we eventually could expect? Well, uh, the, the truth is that uh, some of the Western Balkan countries are already the members of uh, NATO. And uh, in this regard, uh, we are speaking about Albania, uh, Montenegro, North Macedonia. And in their actually cases, I would uh, be rather uh, optimistic when it comes to their security sit- situation and their uh, ga- the guarantees they get for uh, their development, for their secure development. However, there are also remaining three uh, countries, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Serbia, and Kosovo, uh, which are not under the umbrella of NATO. And in particularly in these countries, we can expect some developments that may go against their will to uh, exceed the European Union on the one hand, and against the will uh, of the European Union itself to actually uh, accept uh, them as the as the member states. And uh, it's also true that these three countries, and especially Bosnia and Herzegovina and Kosovo, are considered to be the playground uh, for external powers, among which Russia has played a uh, quite significant role. And I think that Russia is going to continue to play this role unless the political leadership in these countries would, wouldn't prevent it from doing so. And uh, yeah, we had um, recently we had elections in Serbia, which proved that uh, President Vucic and his government are going to uh, continue to uh, to, you know, to rule the country. Uh, We have uh, the continuing governmental instability in Bosnia and Herzegovina, which also is uh, not not considered to be, uh, you know, a good sign uh, for stability, for the future stability of the country. So in their uh, regard, I am particularly concerned. You sort of tackled the issue of uh, of Serbian elections, and that was going to be my next question. Uh, what do you think, how the results of the elections in Serbia, but also in Hungary, because we cannot ignore those either, uh, will influence the region's future? What do you think? Well, uh, I would say that we really can see a lot of similarities uh, between Serbia and Hungary, and this not only uh, comes to the pre-election developments and the campaign that, uh, that uh, went on in both countries, but also in the post-election development. Uh, well, Hungary is a full-fledged uh, EU member uh, and full member of NATO. Serbia is uh, not. But uh, still, I think that even a country that seriously aspires to become the member of the European Union should uh, be should clearly take a side in the conflict, in such an important conflict that goes on in uh, Ukraine or rather between Russia and Ukraine. It's not possible to play uh, the role of uh, a semi-pregnant, you know, girl or lady because it's not possible anymore. 
uh, you have to take a side in order to show that you are committed to the values uh, you uh, of the community you want to join and that you have the respect for the others and for the joint position of uh, the community you want to join. This applies to Serbia, of course, but in case of Hungary, it is already the member country, the member states. So I would say that in the Hungarian case, it should be even more obvious that, uh, well, balancing on the edge, it's not really a maintainable policy and a decision should come sooner or later. And I can't imagine that Hungary would continue to play with these pro-Russian cards uh, for a longer time period because it would bring significant damages, not only when it comes to the image of Hungary, but also when it comes to the economy of uh, Hungary, because the contributions of the EU in the terms of uh, funds, structural funds or other types of assistance are and have been significantly higher than any contribution or investments coming from the Russian Federation. And this should be put clearly on the table that yes, the EU is the most important financial partner. It's the most important donor for Hungary and Hungary is not an isolated island, but an open economy with a member of a broader community. And therefore, I think it should also uh, come in line and respect the joint values. Thomas, thank you. Thank you very much for your very interesting insights. Uh, I think we gave our listeners very good food for thought. Uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, Visegrad Insight has just published five scenarios for Western Balkans for year 2030. Uh, and it is available, this report is available to download at visegradinsight.eu, uh, but also there is a link in the podcast description. Please do have a look. Um, I think it's a very interesting read. Tomasz, thank you. Thank you again. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. I am also grateful to the International Visegrad Fund for supporting us. Thank you. Bye-bye.